We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 19, Lacey. The air date for this episode was April 21st, 2013. The writers were the Kitsowitz, and the director was Milan Chevlov. The title card features a hooded man shooting an arrow. We begin in Storybrooke, in Mr. Gold's shop, where Emma, Neil, Mary Margaret, David, and Mr. Gold are celebrating Henry's birthday. There are 12 candles on that birthday cake, but unless Henry turned 11 directly after Pilot, I don't think that's possible, question mark. Of course, <laughs> why am I trying to figure out continuity on this show? <laughs> Silly really me. shouldn't be. <laughs> I, mm. yeah. but, don't, but don't worry, Shell. In this one instance, Henry's premature birthday is actually a clue that something is off in the scene. <gasps> something off something off something's off Mm. and so we are we are a while off from henry's birthday but henry will be turning 12 off camera mid-season three but yeah the opening shot in this scene is incredibly incredibly unsettling with the wide camera lens the kind of hollow emotions and stilted movements it's a well done hint that something's off here am i the only one who feels like this is a sad place for a kid's birthday I mean, I guess there's not an overabundance of Chuck E. Cheese's in Storybrooke. Yeah, I don't think anyone else in this scene would have picked Mr. Gold's shop as the location for Henry's birthday. Like, it definitely would have been Granny's or something. So I think this is another bit of foreshadowing for the scene to come. Woo! I had my 14th birthday at a Chuck E. Cheese. Nice. I got had real many a birthday at Chuck E. Cheese. I got real mad at all my friends. Oh, no. And I canceled my birthday. Oh, no. And and then my sister called me and she goes, you want me to take you to Chuck E. Cheese? And I said, I guess. Because, you know, that's how 14-year-olds talk. Yeah, it is. So then the mouse came over and started singing to my mom. And she's like, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, over. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my, that is the one time that I had a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. It was just me, my sister, my mom, and my niece. (laughs) I had a lot of fun, though. I, I have a, actually a lot of warm fuzzies for Chuck E. Cheese before they had the, and I completely understand why, but before they had the, like, you must be accompanying a child. You can't just be an adult that comes in here rule. <gasps> they, they implemented that. Yeah. Yes. Because of creepos. So I'm like, uh, I understand why, but it makes me kind of sad because when I worked at coffee bean and tea leaf, which was in a mall, like two miles over was a Chuck E. Cheese. So me and all my, you know, late teen co-workers would all go over to Chuck E. Cheese after we got off work and just be like cheap pizza video games and it was really fun and thus the creation of Dave and Buster's was created (laughs) I don't think Ventura was ever cool enough to get a Dave and Buster's (laughs) I mostly grew up with Bullwinkles oh yeah I I love Bullwinkles I love Bullwinkles I have only heard of Bullwinkles I never have been in one awesome they don't exist anymore anymore, Mm -hmm. unfortunately well yeah but even when we were kids i don't think there was one anywhere near me there there was Mm -hmm. a chuck e cheese but i don't think i had a bullwinkles i think there was only two or three and they were mostly in like the inland empire and maybe the san fernando valley maybe there's one there but i think there might have been one in norcal but that also didn't help me the last house Lynn and me lived at was right across the street from the old Bullwinkles. And I'd always be like, oh, Bullwinkles. 
Oh, and nice. we would have for the 20 millionth time we'd have the conversation of me going i've never been in a bullwinkles yeah it was bullwinkles like cool and it was person. boomers and now it's just a shut down shell of a place oh but, that's so sad yeah so sad i can't wait till i can go to a golf and stuff <laughs> oh my god i spent so much of my teenage years at a golf and stuff Fuck yeah, golf and stuff. We did have that in Ventura, and they had DDR, so I was <laughs> there all the time. I just like going mini golfing. I very rarely mini golfed, but I was the strange blue-haired girl that was always bogarting the DDR machine. <laughs> I was always bogarting the para para machine on my breaks between <gasps> classes para at, para. at the Pac-Man Arcade in Pasadena. Love para para. Also, if, if our listeners should know that golf and stuff was made famous by the Karate Kid. That is the place that Daniel takes Allie for a date. Mr. Cole tells Henry that he can pick anything out from his shop as his birthday gift. Ooh, that's not a good idea. I mean, I know Henry is the only responsible adult in this town, but mm, hard no, Pop Pop. (laughs) So Henry looks around and chooses a wand. He begins to wave it around and Neil tells him to be careful with it. Henry asks his grandfather how it works. Mr. Gold shows him by waving it around in the air. Then, using the one, Mr. Gold turns Henry into a statue. Everyone is shocked, and David yells at Mr. Gold, wanting to know, why, why did you do that? (laughs) Mr. Gold replies that the seer told him Henry will be his undoing, so he must be Henry's. He takes his cane and obliterates the statue. (gasps) And then a startled Mr. Gold awakes in his bed, realizing that it was only a nightmare. You know, at at least he isn't sleeping well over these kinds of dreams. Like, he cares for Henry enough to be conflicted. It's a really serious scene, but Dream Charming's reaction is amazing. (laughs) Why would you do that? It's like the inflection because he's just like, oh, why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, buddy. (laughs) Oh, I have a fun fact for this scene, which is the wand in it is actually the Blue Fairy's wand, which was another clue that this was all a dream. I didn't know that. Sound effect, baby. I wish I could take credit for that fun fact, but that was from the um, fandom wiki. (laughs) Oh. I mean, you could have lied. I could have lied. I can edit this away and no one will ever know. No one will know your shame. (laughs) All right, then. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to how I feel in 90% of the conversations I have with my fiance. All right, then. All right, then. I'm normal. Later that day, Regina finds Mr. Gold watching Neil and Henry play with wooden swords. Neil is once again proving that he is the best dad on this show. Neil and Henry were super adorable. Regina notes that Henry has pushed her away in favor of Neil, and Neil has pushed Mr. Gold away in favor of Henry. She wonders why, and with no small amount of glee, Mr. Gold reveals that Henry is Neil's son, thus making him Henry's grandfather. Regina is shocked to learn this, doubting Mr. Gold's claims that he did not know this fact previously, as he was the one who procured Henry for her during the adoption process, and there was no way that could have been a coincidence. Mr. Gold just tells her that there are no coincidences, just fate. I love Regina's outrage here. She is so incredulous, like, why do all roads lead back to you, lizard man? Well, this is what happens when you pick a random baby from the baby closet, Regina. (laughs) (laughs) the baby closet that he had out in arizona (laughs) he takes it with him Mm -hmm. 
He's like, gotta pack up for my journey. You know what? It's like, gotta he, take the baby you know closet. what? You know how he's like always, like people have multiple roles in, in other Disney stuff, right? You know, he's the beast. He's Rumpelstiltskin, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. He's a crocodile. He's also Mary Poppins. He's got that, he's got that <laughs> carpet bag. <gasps> it's full of the babies. It's full of the babies from the baby closet. That's how he transports them. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, it's like a Pokeball situation. So like the babies are like happy in the bag. They're, they're cared for until they can be like, brought out into the world and I like that you have to put that caveat in there I choose you Henry (laughs) so now he has to fight other children for entertainment yeah because there's a weird child fight club situation I mean he's an evil lizard wizard so I don't call him the dark one he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna fight those fucking god-awful Hansel and Gretel kids Mm -hmm. oh he'd win yeah he would He's he's scrappy. He's chaotic neutral. They're Gretel chaotic will get stupid. Gretel will give him give him a grief, but Hansel will fuck it up for her. Just yeah. j- just when she's about to like win over Henry, Hansel will definitely fuck it up for Gretel. He'll just trip over his own goddamn feet and knock them both into a ravine or something. Exactly, and Henry will <laughs> just win by default. <laughs> he won't even have to do anything. But now that August has turned into a kid, now he's part of the child fighting ring. Oh God! So I yeah. hope Henry takes him out first. Oh yeah. <laughs> Regina scornfully replies that the others would not accept him. Yeah, we'll see, Rumple mutters to her, but Regina continues to neg him, saying she has seen his dark heart and insisting he will always choose darkness. Mr. Gold firmly insists Regina does not know him at all. She replies, if your own son couldn't bring out the good in you, who will? Speaking of which, Mr. Gold visits Belle in the hospital, where she is relieved to find him alive after his alarming deathbed phone call. I kind of can't believe that he didn't follow up with that <laughs> until now. It's a, it's like, it's a choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, wait a minute. You didn't go. Okay. All right. Whatever. Despite her memories being lost, Mr. Gold attests that his feelings for her are real. And he just needed her to know that in case he died. Bill does not doubt his feelings because of her quote sense about people. She tells Mr. Gold that whatever past she had before her amnesia probably included him. Something the latter is happy to hear. Belle tells him that she remembers Mr. Gold healing her after her injury. Mr. Gold replies that once she remembers who she is, everything will fall into place. Belle tentatively asks if he can help her regain her memories, and Mr. Gold confesses that he needs her help as well, as she always brought out the best in him. So he will try to get back her memories back for both of their sake. He tells her that he will work on getting her discharged. This was a very lovely rumbell moment, and no one, not even the Kitsowitzes, can take it away from me. In the enchanted forest of the past, a recently acquired bell is sobbing in her cell when Rumpelstiltskin comes in and complains that when she agreed to work for him, he assumed she wouldn't miss her family quite so much. Bell retorts that this was her sacrifice for her family, so naturally she would miss them. Rumpelstiltskin insists that the crying must stop, as he cannot think while he spins. He procures a pillow for her. She thanks him, assuming it is to help her sleep better, but he tells her it's to muffle her crying so he can concentrate on work. Their conversation is interrupted by breaking glass, alerting them to a thief's presence. The thief is attempting to steal a magic wand when Rumpelstiltskin arrives to taunt him. Hey, y'all, it's Lucifer. Oh, look at that handsome guy. It's Gary. He's here to cook us things and win our hearts. A savory muffin, Gary. Isn't life full of enough disappointments? Gary, oh yeah, from Miranda. Yeah, he's her handsome fella. He handsome is, fella. He is, and he's so like, 
He's so dreamy in that show. He's like, so dreamy and he's so, so like, a, you know, a touch of himbo and soft, just, very soft, very, very soft. soft. He loves her so much. It's so cute. Uh, yeah. The thief aims a bow and arrow at Rumpelstiltskin, explaining that the arrow is magic and will always find its target. The arrow hits Rumpelstiltskin when he tries to teleport, but Rumpelstiltskin pulls the arrow out of his chest, giggling, telling Tom Ellis Thief that all magic comes with a price, and Rumpelstiltskin is that price. Yeah, but he's the devil, so maybe slow your roll. (laughs) (laughs) Also, hey, way to give us an origin story for the bow and arrow Snow goes all murdery with in season one, episode 16, Heart of Darkness. I'm just being a nerd. (laughs) Why? Can they have consistency with objects? They, they, they can't really, have consistency yeah. with characters. Well, I guess whoever does like props and objects and stuff on, on Once Upon a Time really cares. And he's the only one who does. <laughs> he really is. The other ones are like, I don't fucking know, man. I think, I think Mark Isham cares. I think the composer cares. Yes, he cares. Yeah. He cares. Oh, he's the Luke Skywalker. He cares. I care. I care. I care. I love that line. (laughs) He's such a sweet little nerd. God bless his cotton socks. (laughs) (laughs) I love Luke. He's oh no, Luke. Luke is wonderful, but it's just like, oh, you Crandall when he says that line. (laughs) So we return to Storybrooke, where Belle is preparing to be discharged when Regina knocks at her door. (sighs) She greets Regina, who introduces herself as the mayor of Storybrooke. Regina asks if Belle is doing well. Belle compliments her thoroughness and answers her by revealing that Mr. Gold is having her discharged in order to help her remember who she was. Regina bends down, pretending to pick something up. In actuality, she uses her magic to summon a matchbook with the logo of a local bar, the Rabbit Hole. She asks Belle if the matchbook belongs to her. Belle does not seem to recognize it, but Regina insists that she take a closer look at it. Belle stares at it for a few seconds and suddenly seems to remember something. She excitedly tells Regina that she thinks she remembers who she is after all. Regina gloats, telling Belle that Mr. Gold will be thrilled. Ah, Regina, keep your magic away from this poor woman's scrambled brains. She has been through enough. She's angry. She needs to meddle with something. She's angry and Belle's a sadly an easy target. I know. Poor Belle. It's because her brains are mashed potatoes right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tamara and her Greg. Aw. And her Greg. And, and her, her Greg. Greg. <laughs> and her pet Greg. <laughs> I mean. Greg is absolutely her sidekick. It's like, Tamara's here. And Greg. And Greg. <laughs> and the king. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going for. Because here she is and she's beautiful and fantastic. And it's just, I know. Like and she it's just like, fucking hey, Greg. like her her presence is so radiant. <laughs> and it's just like like you are blinded by her because she is so brilliant. And poor Ethan Ember. I am also here and everyone's like, here. who are you again? <laughs> I remember your beautiful girlfriend, but who the fuck are you? <laughs> I remember this, yeah, gorgeous creature. Who are you? I'm sorry, ma'am. Someone strange has followed you in. Would you like me to escort him out? (laughs) Oh, no, no. That is my familiar. (laughs) Renfield. (laughs) He's that guy from um, Meteora's, like, the guy that, like, loved her. And she's like, not now! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, mistress. Yes, mistress. All right, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Tamara and Greg are looking at a map of Storybrooke. 
Greg has marked all the places he has witnessed magic. The two are both excited by the fulfillment of their goals. However, Greg tells Tamar that she should return to her fiance, Neil, in order to avoid any suspicion. Tamara believes that Neil will not be suspicious and shifts the focus onto Greg's dad. Greg reveals to Tamara that he has had no success in finding his father, but believes that his father is still in Storybrooke. He asks Tamara if, quote, the package has arrived. Tamara confirms it has, but says that she cannot just drive into town with it. Greg asks her if it's stable, to which Tamara says, very, and tells Greg that she will bring it to him later. These two should have ended up being Tweedledee and Tweedledum for how much I do not give a shit about their harebrained plans. <laughs> like, yeah, for all the so gorgeous... To look at. I know. Meanwhile, David drives Mary Margaret and Emma to the field of magic beans. The beans! slaughtered <laughs> us and stole our beans. The beans! <laughs> being uninformed, Emma doesn't understand the purpose for visiting these fields. Both of her parents tell her that she needs to see this. Emma is preoccupied about the cryptic warning August gave her before he was transformed back into the child Pinocchio and lost past memories. Mary, Margaret, and David pull Emma through the invisibility spell that protects the fields to show Emma the magic beans being grown. Emma hugs Anton when she sees him, and he notifies her that the beans are not quite ready to be harvested. I'm glad Anton is here. This whole episode just be him talking in a soothing voice and gardening. That's what I want. I got so excited when Anton showed up. I, I literally, there's an audible, aww, at this scene. Like the hug with him and Emma was so very sweet. He just adores Emma. And Emma is so very cutely fond of him as well. And I have decided that these two are BFFs and I demand more scenes of their friendship forever. Same, ditto, 100%. Anton is living his best Stardew Valley life and I'm, I'm really here for it. Yeah, this little it's scene was soft. Cute. I liked it. Yeah. We tragically see very little of him. So. Yeah. Boo. Boo. No. Boo earns. Boo earns. Were you saying boo or boo earns? I was saying boo earns. Oh, okay. <laughs> Emma doesn't understand why they didn't tell her about the magic beans when she was in Manhattan with Mr. Gold. David says that they are telling her now and that they are trying to keep this under wraps. Therefore, Mother Superior has cloaked the area. Emma then asks Anton why he has shrunken in size since their last encounter. Anton tells Emma that Cora is the one who shrunk him. Leroy then approaches and tells Anton to get back to work <laughs> in his lovable Leroy way. I love you, Leroy. Mm. Emma's mood turns as she questions her parents as to the real reason for planting these magic beans. Even though Emma brings up all the bad that has happened in the Enchanted Forest, David persists that the problems can be fixed. Mary Margaret also now agrees with David, saying she has had a change of heart after killing Cora and that mending their homeland is the best way to fix her heart. Emma maintains that this world is her home, but her parents contend that the Enchanted Forest was her home and she may finally be able to have her happy ending there. Two words, modern medicine. That's all I gotta say. You know where I stand on this argument. I do. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Very important. Also hygiene products. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that didn't get brought up at all when they had the argument before, but also hygiene products. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a, you know, 12-step Korean skincare product regime to which I have grown incredibly attached. 
I admire your uh, your ability to follow through something like that. It's very calming for me, actually, <laughs> to have like a routine and I have like all my products like lined out and it's like, okay, this is what I do in the morning. This is what I do at night. This is what order it's in. It makes me very zen. And that's something I need because I don't know if you know this, but I'm extremely tightly wound. The hell you say. <laughs> I know you wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I get into routines, but because of my ADHD... I, something will happen, something will trip me up and then I won't get back to it. And it's really sad. Mr. Gold returns to Belle's hospital room, but she is nowhere to be found. He calls for Belle's nurse. He calls for any nurse and it's always just nurse ratchet because She's they just- the only one that works yeah. there. Because apparently all those awesome like extras that we saw very early in season one just went got better roles elsewhere they quit uh, as soon as the curse was broken yeah they yeah. did yeah they did they fled fled they were like the i remembered who i am and i'm worth more than this tacky <laughs> hospital will pay me <laughs> or they're like i'm not qualified to be doing this holy shit <laughs> like i'm a frog. i want to be a frog <laughs> i was a bluebird i was why a bluebird. on earth did they trust me with a scalpel <laughs> uh okay the nurse tells Mr. Gold that Belle should still be in the hospital before running off to look for her. While glancing at the empty hospital bed, Mr. Gold sees the red matchbook with the rabbit hole logo on it. You know, I know when I've been cooped up in the hospital for too long, all I want to do is have a drink. <laughs> and I speak from personal experience there. So Mr. Gold decides to visit the town bar. The bartender greets him and Mr. Gold asks him if a woman matching Belle's description has come into this, quote, vile joint. Look, I can only imagine that Gold is having flashbacks to being cuckled by Mila in a tavern because, honestly, the rabbit hole looks decent enough. Like, buddy, you don't know vile until you've been in a windowless bar where every breath reeks of stale cigarettes and cheap beer and the same five drunks have been occupying the same bar stools that their butts have been indented. That is a vile hole. And I can name five of them in Pasadena alone. <laughs> this poor bartender is like, please, sir, I'm just trying to run a business here. There's no need to be rude. We have a 4.8 star rating on Yelp. <laughs> really? I mean, this is the bar they go to in Skin Deep. Like uh, yeah. the girls, when they have the girls night out, this is it. <laughs> so it's just like. It's just being needlessly hurtful at this point. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. He's just like, oh, this vile joint. As if like it never, like he didn't even know it existed and i'm just like it didn't just pop out of nowhere dummy like this is a tiny ass goes town. here archie goes i know here. archie goes here like <laughs> calm down i mean Not they do play they do serve minors i will give them grief for that because you know they, they serve, serve ashley yeah. they serve ashley and yeah she's only fucking 19 so the bartender doesn't know a bell, but says that the description sounds a lot like Lacey. He points Mr. Gold in the direction of Lacey, who is most definitely Belle, now pounding shots and playing pool. A bewildered Mr. Gold goes over to her and is promptly corrected when he addresses her as Belle. She still recognizes him and claims she remembers who she is, and that's Lacey. She brushes him off to continue her pool game. She's hot. And she's playing with one of the one of the seven dwarfs, right? I forget which one it was, but she's playing with one of them. Oh, okay. Oh, you know what? It, it's either Happy or it's Walter, the one who they shoved. Oh, I think it is Walter. I, I think, think it, it is Walter. Not, yeah, it's Walter, which would make uh, sense why he's, that's why he's not uh, working on the beans. Yeah. Yes, he that's right. He's hanging out right. with Lacey, drinking, playing pool. That's he's right. Not, he's not farming uh, magic beans. Oh, that's right. He doesn't know he's the seven dwarf. He doesn't know that he's the dwarf. Yeah, it's Walter. Oh, mm. poor, poor Walter. 
Okay, so back in the Enchanted Forest, Belle is sweeping the floor in Rumpelstiltskin's castle while the thief is heard screaming in the background. Rumpelstiltskin enters and removes his bloody apron, ordering Belle to clean it and tells her he will return later. Belle asks him why he is torturing the thief over a magic wand. Rumpelstiltskin responds that the thief is being punished for stealing from him, the Dark One. He goes on to say that anyone who tries to steal from him gets skinned alive and that everyone knows that. Bill replies, uh, no, they don't, to which Rumpelstiltskin hesitates before replying, well, they will after they discover the body, and leaves. <laughs> it's like, he's trying so hard to be ferocious, but it's like a kitten. A it's kitten a tantrum. Um, with murder mittens. Like, kitten with murder mittens. He's having a tantrum. He is having a tantrum. He is having a tantrum. You are- he needs, like, a juice box and some gummy bears because he's getting fussy. He is getting yeah, very fussy. Yeah, his, his blood sugar <laughs> is low. His, he, he needs some needs, protein. He needs a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ravioli's in a nap. Ravioli's in a nap. <laughs> Belle sneaks down to the dungeon to give the thief water and releases him, believing that no one deserves to be tortured as he has. The thief entreats Belle to flee with him, and she refuses, saying that she made a deal to serve Rumpelstiltskin to save her family from the ogres. The thief takes off after wishing Belle good luck. We return to Storybrooke, where an enraged Mr. Gold confronts Regina in the mayor's office about what she did to Belle. Regina says she gave her back her memories, and Mr. Gold replies that Belle has her curse memories, not her true memories. Mr. Gold insists that Regina bring her back. Regina says she cannot because Belle crossed the town line. Her old self is gone, and Lacey is here to stay. Furthermore, Regina is confident that Mr. Gold will be on his best behavior because Neil is in town. Mr. Gold tells her that any curse can be broken. After a few more low jabs at Gold's expense, Regina wickedly tells him to give her regards to Lacey. Regina calmly reminds Rumpel that Lacey is not into him, and he is so flustered and saying stupid shit, just letting Regina get to him. Like, I don't like what Regina did to Bell, but it was just petty. Like, it wasn't injurious, you know? Like, she didn't kill her. She just gave her her curse memories. <laughs> Regina just needed to have a, like, a Oh, like low-key like cold power move so she could feel like herself again yeah after, you know all the mourning for her, her evil mama's death yeah she's like i gotta feel like me again what should i do what should i do <laughs> i know i'll be petty to rumple yeah <laughs> that'll be that'll be uh that'll be satisfying plus it's kind of funny because she's like regina pointedly is like yeah your curse the one you made yeah so it's like so really it's your fault that she's programmed this way. <laughs> So maybe Regina you gotta filled, just sit with that for a minute, bud. Regina <laughs> filled in some details, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, think he, I think he doesn't enjoy being called on that fact, which is part of why he got all puffy. So yeah, she, oh, for sure. She's like, like, it's <laughs> your curse, remember? The one you made? And he's like, yeah, well, you, did, you made it. So, so, so you your can, face. You so your face. It. <laughs> you, you smell. <laughs> why no one <laughs> likes you? <laughs> he's all just like i fucked your mom and runs <laughs> just swipes everything off her desk and runs out of the room i wish that happened <laughs> i mean it would have been the greatest it would have been the greatest way to just completely just it's like if succession she couldn't come back from that she would we, just be like oh what we need is a re-fandub but like succession level like rated you know nc-17 kind of language but with like the pettiness of once upon a time Mm -hmm. it's just like 
Yeah, I fucked your mom and I should have been your dad. Bye. <laughs> Fuck you. It would have it been a more entertaining scene. It really would have. <laughs> Although this one was pretty entertaining. Yeah, she's <laughs> so pleased with herself. She is so pleased with she's herself. She's very funny in this episode. Yeah, she really is. Regina being petty as fuck, I feel like, is one of the only bright spots for me. <laughs> yeah. At Granny's diner, Granny gives 10 bowls of chili without beans to Leroy and David. She asks them if the dwarves have anything against beans, and David says they have had their fill of beans over the past couple of weeks. I mean, Texan chili doesn't have beans. Yeah, basically just bolognese sauce at that point. I mean, minus the chili powder and all Spicy bolognese sauce. <laughs> bolognese. A nice Adi sauce. Yeah. <laughs> or is that Eddie Izzard? <laughs> no, I think we're just being dumb. No, we're just being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Like, oh. no, we're, we're just being dumb shits now. <laughs> I mean, this fucking town or this show is obsessed with lasagna so i wouldn't put it past them to like start going after bolognese but oh i'm sure it's next to regina's list that goddamn sociopath (laughs) (laughs) only my likes it everything yeah she's gonna sneak into granny's diner and like sneak in red pepper flakes and all of her lasagna just replace every spice in the kitchen with just red pepper flakes Granny then asks what they have been really doing out there. Leroy says they are merely landscaping, which causes Granny to give them a suspicious look. Granny does her best Leo and Killian Inception meme sus look, like I squint, (laughs) like you sus. (laughs) I'm on to you. Mr. Gold comes to ask Leroy if the seat next to him is taken. Then he says Leroy might want to leave because he only needs to talk with the prince. (laughs) Such an asshole. David gives Leroy the okay to leave the diner, so Leroy leaves Mr. Gold and David to chat. You know, Leroy wants to just sucker punch Gold right there, but he's just too hungry for his chili to make a scene. (laughs) I also think it's important to note that Mr. Gold does literally insult Granny's lasagna in this (laughs) scene. The show is obsessed with lasagna. I'm, I'm really sad that I never posted that lasagna is my love language sweater that i found on the stovers <laughs> like they like i want all of us to like wear it or something <laughs> like, but like do like one of those iron on printouts of like regina on it <laughs> like smiling wickedly i feel like this show it's like it's food lasagna is like its location with boston yes yes there's only yes. one city there's only one food. <laughs> everything is Boston. Everything is lasagna. Everything is lasagna. When David hears that Regina jogged Belle's memory, he thinks it is a good thing until Mr. Gold explains that Regina didn't jog her memories of the enchanted forest, but of the cursed life. He tells David that Belle now believes that she is a, quote, barfly and is living a false life, much like David's false marriage to Catherine. Mr. Gold asks David how he managed to win Mary Margaret's heart when they were both plagued with false memories. David declines helping the man who, quote, made his wife murder someone, but Mr. Gold says he only made her murder someone who would have killed his whole family, and that if David doesn't help him, Mr. Gold will owe him a favor. David finally breaks down and agrees to help Mr. Gold advising him that even when their heads were filled with false memories, he and Mary Margaret still retained parts of their former selves. 
David tells him in order to get back the real Belle, he needs to show her the man she fell in love with. And good Lord, David, you do realize who you are talking to, right? Like even Rumpel's face is like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> Although I do, I love it every single time he comes to him for, for advice. It's just the fucking cutest. Like David, you're good at love, right? David, you're, you're good David, at this love shit, David, right? Help me. David, David's help. initially so over it too. Mm -hmm. Cause he's just like, you need to help me. And he's like, you just made my wife kill somebody. Are you dumb? <laughs> and he's, he's like, like oh, come on. Yeah, kind of. Will you, you help me? Dude, like, fine, fine. Oh my God, whatever, just to shut you up. Come here. I mean, he has a point. Cora would have killed him anyway. <laughs> so it's very true. I mean, they both have a point in this scene. Also. Yeah. Uh, oh, of course. Of course. Everybody's right and everybody's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like mostly no wrong. No one's completely wrong here, but also no one's exactly right. Honestly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So there's, there's no, there's no real winners. Everyone just tripped and didn't even make it to the finish line. <laughs> Everyone right now is just a big bag of losers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Going to Loserville. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Belle is trying to be nonchalant with a book as Rumpelstiltskin sharpens the tools that he plans to kill the thief with. He tells Belle he promises to be quiet, but can't promise that for the thief. He leaves for a second, but marches back in when he discovers the thief is gone. Belle tells him she let him go, which infuriates Rumpelstiltskin, who cannot believe Belle would release a thief. Belle says just because he's a thief doesn't mean Rumpelstiltskin has the right to kill him, while Rumpelstiltskin counters that it gives him every right to kill him. He makes Belle's book disappear, saying that she has read too many books if she believes the thief was stealing for a noble cause. Yeah, because you didn't murder a fairy to get that wand, you hypocritical ass. R.I.P. Gold Fairy. Too fashionable for this world. Too fashionable. Too fashionable. We hardly knew you. We hardly knew you. I mean, I mean, playing devil's advocate here, Rumpel has never claimed to be a good person or to have stolen that one for good good oh, cause because no. bell's argument was like oh what you don't know he might have needed that for something good and he's like nobody steals magic for a good reason <laughs> yeah, but he has like he I, has like this bullshit line about anyone who steals deserves to die and it's like oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i think it, I, I say I thought squinting it was at him and moving closer <laughs> everyone huh talk about the baby closet rumble still <laughs> Let's baby. look at the closet, Rumpel. <laughs> yeah, Belle just marches over to the closet, opens it, and out comes like this whole avalanche of babies. She's like, let's talk about the baby closet. <laughs> He's like, cut those babies back. Now they're going to get everywhere. <laughs> God damn it, we just waxed this floor. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, now we have to read to them. Fuck. <laughs> get the Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> To just kind of scoot them back into the closet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you just to put gently, one baby gently bump them in. Exactly. Well, no, no. You like you put one baby on the Roomba at a time, and the Roomba eventually gets over to the closet, and then you know bumps the baby into the closet, and so then you have to put another baby on the Roomba. <laughs> it's a very arduous process. I was gonna say this seems like it would take much longer than it needs to. Yeah. No, they can just corral them. I think the broom's a better idea. <laughs> broom is a better, especially if it's a magic broom. Yeah. There you go. There you go. This is Disney, right? They got lots of magic brooms in. Yeah, they got magic Disney. brooms up to their eyeballs. There you go. Problem solved. Belle tells him she didn't free the thief because of what she has read, but says she saw good in the man. 
so she let him get away only with his life. Rumpelstiltskin says she is wrong if she thinks that he got away with only his life, showing her that the place where the one had been no longer holds it. Belle tells Rumpelstiltskin he has no way of knowing why the thief would need the one, and Rumpelstiltskin says there is only one explanation. He took it because he wants magic. Belle insists a person can't possibly know someone's intentions until one sees what is in their heart. Rumpelstiltskin shouts that he will see what is in the thief's heart when he shoots an arrow through it, and, because he is a showman, it will be done with the thief's bow, summoning it into his hands. He says that because it is Belle's fault, she has to come and not only watch him, but clean up the bloody mess as well. You know, Rumple really needs to get laid and maybe get into some of that Tolkien pipeweed that keeps the Shire folk super chill. Every fiber of my being wanted Belle to kick Rumpelstiltskin in the dick while he was yelling <laughs> at her in the scene. Like, don't you yell at her, sir. She, she deserves better than having to clean up after a screaming scaly man-child. Poor Belle. I know. Well, luckily we're back in Storybrooke. <laughs> and a man comes up to Lacey at the bar, ordering her man. another... A man. <laughs> and a man comes up to Lacey at the bar, ordering her another drink. The man tells her he has had his eye on her for a while. But Lacey tells him that he is not her type. Mr. Gold sees the man from a distance, telling David he might want to go outside. David stops him from attacking the man, hitting on Lacey. When they see the man walk away from Lacey, they walk over to her. She notices he is back, and he notes she is still here. Belle tells him she loves the ambiance and gets up to change the song at the jukebox. I really like that Lacey has excellent hairband taste and goes to play Panama by Van Halen. I feel like the least likable thing about this personality they made up for Lacey is that she's into Sammy Hagar. But I don't think so, because I would say she's a David Lee Roth man because she guessed that Mr. Gold is a Hagar man. She said it with an inflection imply that she liked it too. Eh. I mean, she's played Panama. That's that's David, right? I don't know. <laughs> My hairband knowledge is not that good. Yeah, that is, that is David Lee Roth. I wasn't saying it wasn't David Lee Roth. I don't like David Lee Roth either. <laughs> I'm like, I'm aware who it is. Doesn't mean I'm happy. <laughs> Worriedly, Mr. Gold tells David that they have nothing in common. But David says he just needs to ask her out. When he asks her out, Lacey ensures that he accepts that she is not Belle that he is always talking about, and he tells her that he understands this. Lacey tells him she has heard of Mr. Gold's reputation and how people in the town are afraid of him. He suggests not letting that deter her and asks her to give him a chance. Lacey agrees to meet him at Granny's at 8. David walks over and congratulates him, and Mr. Gold says he got her to go out with him but still needs to get her to fall in love with him. Just two grandpas hanging out. <laughs> I love that David says to Rumple, not bad, Don Juan, which prompts Gold to mutter, Don Juan was nothing before he made his deal with me. So I, I do have to say credit where credit is due. I do like little quippy lines like this. It might be the Kitsowitz. It might be somebody else in the writer's room, but the Kitsowitz are good for like punching up scripts. Uh, holding a show intact remains to be seen. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Meanwhile, Emma is reading Henry's storybook at the dock when Regina comes up and sits on the bench beside her. Regina asks her if she is reading about Henry's father or grandfather, then asks how long she thought she could keep something like that from her. Emma retorts that she was going to tell her, but she was too busy trying to stop Regina and Cora from killing her and her entire family. The snark is strong with these two. Did you appreciate that Regina makes a face like, yeah, okay, that was my bad. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, Regina, we were almost kind of friends, and then you went murder crazy with your mom? That kind of caused a communication breakdown between us and Regina can't even argue with that she's just like damn Damn. she's right well you got me well you (laughs) got me oops Oops, I did it again (laughs) (laughs) I tried to kill you and your whole family (laughs) Regina asks Emma why Neil is in Storybrooke and Emma explains that he just wants to spend time with his son Regina adds that he didn't want to spend time with Henry at all in the first 10 years of Henry's life, but Emma didn't either. Emma tells Regina to stop worrying about everyone else to instead focus on being a better person for Henry before she loses him forever. Regina asks Emma why she would lose Henry forever and begins to question Emma about hiding something from her. Regina leaves the docks after telling Emma that whatever it is, she will find out. Oh, Emma, you silly goose. You should have just said that Neil never knew about Henry and refocused the ire back on you and let her drop it. <sighs> but then she wouldn't be her father's daughter, would she? Nope. Or her mo- or her mother's daughter, really. <laughs> the, the whole secret keeping gag <laughs> that does eventually, I think, run amok in this show. <laughs> that evening, Mr. Gold and Lacey are on a date at Granny's Diner when he clumsily drops his menu. Lacey laughs about it, asking Mr. Gold if he is nervous. Mr. Gold denies being nervous by saying that he is just deciding what to eat. When Granny walks over to serve them and sees Belle, she notices her much more revealing clothing and asks her if she's been raiding Ruby's closet. She looks sparkly and fabulous, Granny. Shut your pie hole. It's refreshing that Granny has upgraded her hyper-focused slut-shaming from her own granddaughter to any woman that walks into her establishment. What a great person. What a good way to run a business, you bitchy old battle axe. (laughs) Really? Mr. Gold orders two burgers and two iced teas for him and Lacey, but Lacey tells Granny she wants a chicken parmesan with a bottle of white wine. Lacey tells Mr. Gold that she has never really liked burgers. Mr. Gold says that she can have whatever she likes. Lacey says that he is very classy, which is not quite what she was expecting based on his notoriety in Storybrooke. He asks Lacey what she has heard about him, and she tells him that people say he is the most powerful man in town and that he acquired that power by being ruthless. She also adds that people get hurt if they cross him. This poor idiot cannot pick up on the fact that she is, like, into this. He's just like, no, no, I'm not. I swear, I'm like an angel. (laughs) Like, shut up, dude, go with it. So Granny arrives with her drinks and Mr. Gold begins to pour Lacey some wine, telling her that he is just a shop owner and a procurer of hard to find objects. Lacey takes the bottle from Mr. Gold and pours herself more of it. Mr. Gold says people like to see the worst in him, but he would rather her see the good. Lacey says she doesn't get why people are afraid of him because she sees a man who wouldn't hurt anyone. 
And this comment makes him so happy. Like it is an extremely fucking wild take on him. (laughs) He's so happy for it. And I'm just like, oh my God, you adorable idiot. Like she's not into you because of that. He's just like, oh, this is is what I'm looking for. This means I won't kill Henry on accident. (laughs) He's just like, yes, you're right. I am a good person. And she's like, gross. Like, buddy, no, this is, this is not the bell that you are looking for. <laughs> bell is not, there is no bell, only Zool. Bell has left climb the out building. the bathroom window the second she gets a chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, geez. When Lacey says people can't tell what a person is like until they see what is in their hearts, it causes Mr. Gold to spill his iced tea onto her. Lacey laughs it off, asking if she said something wrong. But Mr. Gold says he had someone else say exactly that same thing to him. Lacey then leaves the table to go wash up after the spill. We're back in the Enchanted Forest, where Belle and Rumpelstiltskin are riding in a carriage in search of the thief. He tells Belle that he is losing track of him. Wow, bringing a chauffeur carriage track, someone is really subtle. Good job, dude. You definitely won't see that coming. Did you guys notice that the uh, chauffeur carriage, though, is self-driving? I mean, I don't think that makes it more subtle. No, no, no. But I just thought it was cool. Like it was. <laughs> oh yeah. That he has an magic. Yeah, I mean, he that, wouldn't have a driver. Yeah, that makes that sense. That is it. Like it is cool Good detail. But also, if you're like, I'm stealthily following someone. No, no. Of maybe course not, not the best choice you could have made. <laughs> yeah. Belle tells him that maybe they should go home, but Rumpelstiltskin asks her what people will think of him if he lets someone who stole from him escape. Belle says that people will actually think that there is a man hiding behind the beast. However, Rumpelstiltskin tells her that there isn't one. Belle believes that there is, asking him why he didn't kill her when she freed the thief. And then Rumpel tells her that good help is hard to find nowadays. Belle says that she thinks there is love deep down in his heart for something more than power. You're right, Rumpelstiltskin says. There is something I love. My things! Belle then says that he is as dark as people say. But Rumpelstiltskin says that he is much darker. They're sharing a blanket. It's so cute. He's taking her to make her watch him murder someone. Belle. But they're sharing a lap blanket. It's adorable. Shut Woman. up. <laughs> they come to a halt. And when they exit the carriage, Rumpelstiltskin sees the sloppy drunk sheriff of Nottingham and tells him that he is in search of a thief. The sheriff takes the bow, claiming he knows who the thief is and who Rumpelstiltskin is. The sheriff says that Rumpelstiltskin's penchant for making deals precedes him, so he offers Rumpelstiltskin the location of the thief in exchange for a night with his wench, Belle. Rumpelstiltskin says that she is not for sale, so the sheriff tries to level with Rumpelstiltskin. He asks him if he can have Belle for an hour, or at least 20 minutes. Rumpel refuses to wager with Belle, conjuring the sheriff's tongue out of his mouth and into his hand. He strikes up a deal with the sheriff, his tongue back, in exchange for everything he knows for the thief he is looking for. The sheriff tells Rumple that he has been chasing the thief for years, and he stole that the woman he loved. The thief is Robin Hood, and he is hiding in the Sherwood Forest. Ugh, the sheriff of Nottingham is so creepy. Like, mm. he's creepy in this episode, and then he's extra creepy to me because I know what's coming with him in a later season, but ugh, he gives me the heebie-jeebies. Back in Storybrooke, Granny brings over Mr. Gold and Lacey's food, but Mr. Gold is still sitting alone at the table. 
Mr. Gold goes to check on Lacey, but she is not in the bathroom where she said she would be. So Mr. Gold goes out the back door of the diner to look for Lacey. I should also say that he didn't like go in a restroom that is, you know, designated. Like it was, it was a gender neutral single unit bathroom and it was open. So he didn't like just bust in. (laughs) He may be the dark one, but he's not a pervert. No. (laughs) You got to draw a line somewhere, I guess. Yeah. Back He'll in the murder enchan- a bitch, but he won't be a bathroom pervert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back in the Enchanted Forest, Belle begs Rumpelstiltskin not to kill the thief, but he says that he is going to kill him and she is going to watch the deed be done. Rumpelstiltskin can see the thief from afar. Belle can see that he is waiting for someone and looks over to see that a wagon comes bearing a sick woman. Rumpelstiltskin says that the woman must be the same woman that the thief stole from the sheriff. Belle tells Rumpel to stop because the woman is going to die. When they see the thief use the one on the sick woman, color returns to her face and Belle tells Rumpelstiltskin that she was right about the thief having good intentions when he stole the wand. These two are shouting and are like 25 feet away from Robin Hood and who we can assume is Maid Marian. How do they not hear these two weirdos bickering? (laughs) I mean, I guess if they didn't see the big red carriage lumbering after them, they probably were going to hear a couple of lunatics <laughs> screaming. You know, Robin was distraught because May Marian was sick and May Marian was sick and then they're happy. She's alive again. So maybe mm. they're just really distracted. I get you. Man, I guess. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin grows tired of hearing Bell, so he magically places the lower half of her body into the soil so she can't move and is forced to watch him kill Robin Hood. He pulls back the bow and arrow, aiming it at Robin Hood. Belle pleads with him not to go through with it, telling him that she was right about Robin Hood having good in him. And she is right about Rumpelstiltskin having good in him as well. The woman stands, revealing her heavily pregnant belly, inspiring Belle to plead more intensely, begging Rumpelstiltskin not to leave a child without a father. He shoots the arrow, but it hits the wagon, missing the thief and the woman. Robin Hood and the woman get onto the horse and ride off into the distance. Belle asks him what happened, and Rumpel tells her that he missed before releasing her from the ground. He tells her to go back to the carriage, and Belle smiles, saying that she was right about him also, because he is not going after Robin Hood. Belle knows that the bow is infused with magic that prevents it from missing its target, but Rumpelstiltskin comes up with the excuse that perhaps the magic simply wore off. Belle then hugs Rumpel for sparing Robin Hood's life. Oh no, the pretty girl touching me. Cannot compute, cannot compute. What do, what do? That's exactly what his face was reading. (laughs) Sounds just like him too. Yeah, yeah, I know. I have that uncanny, really. Scottish accent and all, right? Just like Robert Carlyle. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, he's here. (laughs) We return to Storybrook where Mr. Gold finds Lacey making out with the loser from the rabbit hole. Keith, a.k.a. the sheriff, behind the diner and rips him away from her. Keith says that he didn't realize that they were together and Mr. Gold screams at him to leave. He asks Lacey if she's okay and she testily assures him that she is fine. Mr. Gold then realizes that she came out of the diner because she wanted to be with Keith and Lacey admits to this. Mr. Gold says that he thought their date was going well, but Lacey tells him that the date was not going well and adds that she only went out with him to be nice. Every straight and bisexual woman just went, I feel that, honey. I feel that so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Gold tells her that she liked the nice part of him, but Lacey corrects him and says that he only thinks of Belle. She tells him that Belle may have loved him, but she is not Belle. 
Meanwhile, David and Mary Margaret drop the dwarves and Tiny at Granny's diner while they drive off. Charming gives Anton, Leroy, and the crew a wink before he drives off. And true to his namesake, it's so charming. Also, I wish we got to see more of Anton and the dwarves in this episode because they're cute. Yeah. Regina watches their car drive away, and when she touches the ground, their tire tracks light up, allowing her to trace them. She drives her car along the tire tracks until they abruptly stop. She waves her hand, and the invisibility spell is gone, revealing all of the magic beans that have been planted. Ugh, don't do it. Just, no, stop. Don't come back. (laughs) Outside of the rabbit hole, Keith runs up to Mr. Gold to apologize to him for what happened earlier in the night regarding Lacey. He tells him that he knows that they are together, but Mr. Gold says that they aren't together. Keith asks him if they're on good terms, no hard feelings. Mr. Gold says that he tried so hard to be on his best behavior, but there's no point now. So he summons Keith's tongue so no one will hear his scream and then attacks him with his cane. You don't, you don't need a tongue to scream. You just need it to form words. He can still make noise without it. This is stupid. <laughs> hey, man, you're talking to the same writing team that didn't realize that wood. <laughs> the electric that tased the, the wooden puppet man. That we don't think they would know it was a taser, taser, but they knew it was a taser. taser. Yeah. Like, do, they, do they think people don't know what a taser looks like? I don't know. I feel like I just, I have the Lewis Black candy corn routine. Oh my God. Um, it's corn. That tastes like candy in my brain. Son of a bitch. <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> That's like me with them. It's like each time I'm like, come on, it'll be fine. Son of a bitch. It's so hard because they do really clever things and they, then they do so many stupid things and you're like, well, where's... You know. uh, A broken clock is right twice a day, I guess. (laughs) Back in the Enchanted Forest. When Belle and Rumpelstiltskin get back to the Dark Castle, she tells him that he won't be needing the bow anymore. Rumpelstiltskin says that it might come in handy sometime, so he will keep it. Before Belle goes to bed, Rumpelstiltskin says that he has something to show her. He takes her to a rotunda in his castle that has thousands of books lining the walls. He tells Belle to temper her excitement because it is only another room for her to clean. He tells her that he doesn't want to even see a single speck of dust on any of these books. Belle tells him that he is not the man she thought he was, and she is glad. Rumpel is very visibly pleased to hear this. Of course, we cut back to Storybrooke, where Mr. Gold is beating the ever-loving shit out of Keith with his cane. Lacey returns and remarks that it is true what people say about him, which Mr. Gold acknowledges. Echoing her words from the past, Lacey says that he is not what she thought and that she is so glad. So horny is more like it. It was too horny. Why, Jesus? (laughs) Too horny. What a horny jail bonk. (laughs) (laughs) No! Why am I always put back in horny jail? (laughs) You're the only one that goes there to begin with. (laughs) All I said was so horny is more like I'm just observing that. It was the tone, friend. (laughs) That's okay. We're going to bonk. We're bonking Lacey. She goes to horny jail. Okay. Thank you. Lacey does need to go to horny jail. Yeah. And like sober up or something. Lacey observes once more that Mr. Gold is as dark as people say. Initially unsure by this turn of attitude with Lacey, Mr. Gold decides to say, fuck it, and have the best of both worlds as he replies, darker, dearie, much darker, before he continues to beat Keith down with his cane. 
Have the best of both worlds, Gold. Sure, a librarian in the streets and a bloodthirsty ethical slut in the streets. Yeah. You said streets both God time damn now. it! <laughs> damn it! Bonk, bonk. bonk. <laughs> gas. It's like beep, beep, Richie and fucking it. God damn it. <laughs> Thank you. You, I knew you would understand. I don't understand. You don't, you don't, you don't need to, honey. It's okay. You know what? Ever since I read that book, like 20 plus odd years, 25 years ago, anytime I, I have it in my head, I go beep, beep, Richie. <laughs> When things happen like this. Okay. Stephen King has weird one-liners like that that just stick with you. Because I know after I read Misery, like fucking forever, I had rinse Polly in my head. <laughs> <sighs> a librarian in the streets, a bloodthirsty ethical slut in the sheets. I hate it here and I want to go home. <laughs> you're, you're almost home. Bonk, you're bonk. almost home. Horny jail. Why do well, I have to go to horny jail? I said I hate it here and I want to go <laughs> home. I mean- Mr. Gold and Lacey. Uh, and also you need to be more good specific measure. with your judgment. I was judging the the, the horny horny kids on screen. Mm. 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 Anyway, Chell, get us out of here. All right. Look, <laughs> Neil's back. Yeah, I Yay. love Neil. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Neil arrives at the loft with Henry asleep and over his shoulder. Emma asked Neil if he tranquilized Henry, but Neil jokes that he gave him a couple of bourbons. <laughs> And the, and the kid's a real lightweight, which I fucking love. It was a good line. They spent most of the day in the park playing with swords, which Henry is showing aptitude for, which makes sense considering where his family is from. Emma then asks if he ever thinks about going back to where they are from. Neil tells her that he spent most of his life trying to forget that place. He then tells her that August came by the park, prompting Emma to remark that August being a little kid is going to take time to get used to. Neil replies that, August is cooler as a kid because he takes less money from him, which, which her, her, I love that line. Again, best quips. I mean, August sucks so much as an adult. It's a really, really low bar. True. <laughs> I, I just like the idea though, of like this little kid in a, like an Alpine in a tr- yeah. tr- low in, I forgot just how to say hustling it. Hustling him. Yeah. Like, like with his little later hose in and shit and be like, hustling grown ass man. <laughs> You owe me 20 and I know where you live. I'm going to kick you in the shins. <laughs> I'm going to kick you in the shins. You can pay me in ice cream. <laughs> Emma says that she just wishes he was able to warn them about whoever tried to kill him before he got rebooted. Neil assures her that she will figure it out and not to worry. Meanwhile, Greg waits for Tamara at the Storybrooke border. She shows up and gives Greg a kiss after she gets out of her vehicle. He asks her if the package has been cooperating, and she tells him that he won't need much convincing to agree to help them. She tells Greg that you can always count on a pirate to do your dirty work and opens the back of the moving van. Greg then flashes his light on Hook, who is bound and gagged. At least he's not trapped in the fart closet anymore. (laughs) End credits. This episode really wasted having Tom Ellis as Robin. I wish, wish, wish we had had more of him. Mm-hmm. I was so excited when he was cast because I had I had loved him. You know, small role, but I loved him in Doctor Who, and even more importantly, I love love loved him as Gary and Miranda. And he was kind of ridiculous in Merlin, but I still loved him there too. Basically, I love Tom Ellis and wish we had seen more of him. You know, the role of Robin Hood is eventually recast. Everyone knows that, and I, I do love that character and that actor as well. But I think it would also would have been great to have had Tom Ellis as a regular. But hey, we got Lucifer instead, so I can't complain. Is that what um, ha- is that what happened? Is that like around this time when Lucifer started? 
I think so. Basically, everyone just realized that Tom Ellis was amazing and mm-hmm. wanted him in shit. And he was like, bye, once upon a time. They're yeah. actually going to pay me well. Yeah. <laughs> I liked Henry and Neil, our little Henry and Neil scenes. I liked the Anton and Emma scene and Anton and the dwarves. But I know that was very small. I loved Charming trying so hard to give relationship advice. This one, I guess, was definitely better than the last episode. Definitely mm-hmm. better than the last episode. But it still feels like one of the weaker ones of the season for me. I don't like this episode. <laughs> Anton showed up at one point. It was the only part I really liked. Fair. Fair play. That's me. Uh, that's <laughs> fair play. <laughs> this episode for me had so much potential for like what it sets up, but it just doesn't follow through on it. Like I get that Regina kept Bell in the underground, totally illegal psych ward as her ace up her the sleeve. But considering Lacey was the alternative, I think it would have been far more interesting for Belle as a character and Rumple still trying to keep his Mr. Gold persona intact in season one to see Lacey, this cursed shadow self of Belle walking around town trapped to someone else. Like that's pain, that's suffering. You know, that's really hitting where it hurts and constantly tempting him to give into his baser, darker self, despite knowing Belle would have wanted him to make better choices. But no, uh, I'm pretty sure the idea of Lacey did not even enter the Kitsowitz's gray matter until well into season two. So we get potential of what could have been, but tragically wasn't yet again. I too, though, am happy for an Anton cameo and Neil and Henry bonding. So that always cheers me up. But yeah, Lacey as a character is interesting and we'll see obviously a little bit more of her. But as as things stand in this episode alone, I just... Hmm. It could have been so much better. Yeah, it, it could have been done so much better. Like I said, I think, I, think, I think the character of Lacey should have been introduced either in season one or, or at the top of season two And that's when Regina gave her those cursed memories and then released her from the psych ward. And then all of a sudden, Belle's just there, but she's Lacey. And he's like, what the, you know, and it just throws him for like this loop. And he's just like, I don't, you know, and she doesn't know him, you know, and he's got to like deal with that. And then, you know, we start to see the, the background of their relationship growing in the enchanted forest kind of slowly unfold as he's learning to be a better man, you know, and not just like, fucking info dump all in one or two episodes which you know i mean it gets spanned out over several seasons but still uh costumes i like Lacey's sparkly date dress but the rabbit hole outfit should have been a lot better like it looked pretty sloppy also did either of you notice that rumple's makeup like back in the enchanted forest like it was totally missing around his eyes yeah it weren't good no i don't know what happened with makeup and wardrobe in this episode but it was not good Mm-mm. like they changed regina's entire makeup schematic and it was supremely uncomplimentary Lacey's outfit when you first see her playing pool looked like a real cheap early 2010s forever 21 thing which i guess works if they wanted her to look tacky but it was bad and i just i can't I can't do bucket hats. I can't. I feel like the people that are usually there to step in and make the good hair and makeup and wardrobe choices were like, I can't do this anymore. I must return to my home and children I haven't seen in six months. You're on your own. And they went, oh shit, how do we dress people or do makeup? Oh wait, 
we can't do makeup or dress people. We're actually super bad at it. <laughs> Lynn and I disagree about the bucket hats, which is fine. Like we both agree that bucket hats are awful and we're very happy that the trend has gone away. But I thought Emma and Snow having mommy and me matching black bucket hats was adorable as a concept. Granted, Emma's had a little bit more structure, but it was still cute. Also, I love her white cashmere sweater that she's wearing underneath her jacket and Mary Margaret's charcoal gray tartan print wool coat was (gasps) everything. It was so adorable. I'm glad we just got to see Belle's gold dress and her green cape again, though. Those are beautiful costume pieces. Yeah, but they already had those. I know. (laughs) I I did love the green cape. Her dress was, though, uh, at the hem, like tattered and stuff to show like the the wear and tear of the age, which I thought was consistent sad sad, but consistent with like the time passing yeah but also i'm like oh man that dress is pretty and they're just like what if we made it shitty though (laughs) (laughs) all right time to play who's that guest star in season two episode 19 we have will travel as the sheriff of nottingham aka keith Australian actor Will Travall has mostly enjoyed a career on the small screen with roles on All Saints, Underbelly, Jessica Jones, Arrow, Messiah, and the revival of Dynasty. And then we have the wonderful, the beautiful, the stunning, the hilarious Tom Ellis as Robin Hood. Tom Ellis is a Welsh actor from Cardiff. He is best known for playing Lucifer Morningstar in the television series Lucifer. He is also known for his roles on Miranda, Rush, Gates, Merlin, The Catherine Tate Show, EastEnders, and Doctor Who. All right, so it's time to travel down once upon a timeline. So this episode's flashbacks follow directly after the beginning ones in season one, episode 12, Skin Deep. As here, we see the early days of Belle living in the Dark Castle with Rumpelstiltskin after she made her deal with him. And then the flashbacks that most closely follow after this episode would be the rest of season one, episode 12, Skin Deep's flashback. So you can basically place these ones before Rumpelstiltskin finally giving Belle her blue dress so she doesn't have to keep cleaning in her beautiful gold ball gown anymore because once we get blue dress Belle, they're more comfortable around each other and you can kind of see that transition to that place happen in this episode. Now it's time for Share and Tell, our segment where each narrator shares something that they're loving this week. So mine was Sweetheart's Night at Disneyland. Lynn and me went for Valentine's Day and it was wonderful. We also did a Sweetheart's Night on the 10th because they had multiple nights. And we were snow and charming for that one. Not once upon a time snow and charming, but still. And we waltzed to Someday My Prince Will Come and it was cute. It was fun. People were excited about (laughs) us. I know we got many drive-bys being like, oh, you're so cute. I, I have recommendations this week because I, oh, yeah. I have nothing of joy in my life right now. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I have lots of little joy in my life. You know what I mean? Nothing big like that. But I, that's okay. I come with recommendations for our listeners. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend a book and a couple of TV shows. They're not new at all, but that's okay. I'm rereading for my other podcast, uh, Vampires Ruin My Life. Let the right one in. I've read it before. I'm reading it again. Uh, It's just, it's even better the second read around. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Not for the faint of heart. And the book is, goes into much gorier details than the movie, which I also recommend. I don't really recommend the uh, American version. I'm sure it's, it's adequate, but unnecessary. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. 
but it loses all nuance of the original Swedish. Highly recommend that if you enjoy vampires and a little bit of crime drama as well. I finally finished Star versus the Forces of Evil. Woo! It was absolutely amazing. It was a wild ride. I had, I mean, up till up to the last episode, even I had no idea how it was going to end. It really did keep me on my toes. The first season, you it's so innocuous. You just think it's just this cutesy, delightful show. And then early on in season two, it just takes like this really deep turn. And you're like, oh, wow, this has much deeper meaning. <laughs> Very much in the Steven Universe vein and, and how that sort of just took a, took a sharp turn into Seriousville. And then I am nearly, finally, holy shit, thank the Lord, done with Clone Wars. <laughs> I am on season seven. I'm halfway through. I think I only have six more episodes to go. Ugh, this has been a journey for me. I, I have challenged myself like years ago, about three or four years ago now, that I wanted to watch all Star Wars programs in Star Wars chronological order. So in order, the events in order of which they happened in the Star Wars universe. This was pre-Mandalorian. This was pre-Boba Fett, obviously. But once, you know, I got through the first two films, uh, episodes one and two, and then it was time for Clone Wars. Holy shit, friends. (laughs) The first two, three and a half seasons of that show is real fucking rough. Like, it's real rough. Like, you gotta, you gotta force yourself through it. And that's what made me take so, so long to get through it. I will be probably finished by this week. And I'm very proud of myself. I'm looking forward to watching droids. <laughs> oh my God, droids. I remember droids. Droids is great. I love droids. droids and Ewoks. I will Where watch. I will. E- I will e- fucking e- watch. Ewoks. I will gladly watch the fucking <laughs> e- e- Ewoks. Because I love Ewoks. I can't wait to get to the movies of the Ewoks. The movies are so dark. The They're second so, movie, so fucking dark. dark. They're so dark. Oh my god! <laughs> people, people do not realize how fucking dark they are. So they're they're on the list. Everything but the Bad Batch is on the list because the Bad Batch is still going. Everything that is complete is on the list. I've not done the Clone Wars. I've one day I'm going to watch it, but I started watching it like like you said. It's it's really rough in the beginning. Um, we'll watch so Rebels. Awful. Really liked Rebels. Rebels. Was really oh no, good. I heard. I've I've heard nothing but wonderful things. Well, about and then Rebels. the problem was we got to the point in Rebels where it intersected with Clone Wars because Ahsoka was in it, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Oh shit, we don't know what the hell's going on. We got to watch Clone Wars before we can watch season two of Rebels." And then we tried to watch Clone Wars, and we were like, "I'm not having good times." Yeah, <laughs> the problem with Dan Filoni back in the day was that like he really thought that people were really into like strategy based shows and we were like no we're not into strategy like did you watch star wars (laughs) like yeah clone wars was kind of like watching other people play the board game war when you're not even the one playing yes yes and And you're just sitting there being like do you still need me to be here can i go home yeah exactly and they and and it sucks because clone wars introduces so many really interesting characters like hondo and cad bane and ahsoka and yeah you know and extrapolates on mandalore there's a lot of mandalore stuff going on honest to god i would say seriously read episode recaps of the first season and start in season two 
I'm not, I don't promise that it's the best season. It's not. It's just one of those shows that gets better and better with each subsequent season. And by season three, you're fine. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. With the aid of Hook, Regina attempts to put a plan in motion that will help transport herself and Henry back to the enchanted forest. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale land that was, the evil queen asks Rumpelstiltskin to transform her into an unrecognizable peasant in order to kill an unsuspecting Snow White with the twisted aim of earning the love and respect of her subjects. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is... You get what you get when you choose a random baby from the baby closet. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch If you enjoy once upon a rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Belle knows that the bow is infused with magic that prevents it from hitting its target. (laughs) With magic that prevents it from missing its target. (laughs) It's just the worst weapon ever crafted. Ever. The side of a barn with it. (laughs)